0: Kia I'm Jin, And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS OF ONE'S OWN. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who.
1: Hi Sophie. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Um,
0: yeah, good. Lots going on. Mm. Personally, but also, like I feel Totally fine, obviously. Like, I can do my job fine. I'm getting my tasks done. I'm like busy, but you know, sorry, air quotes. I'm like busy, but (laughs) um, but like fine, like totally normal. But I feel it's just quite frantic energy, very frantic energy. Like, and it's just the vibes in the office are off, yeah, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And yeah, I've had to come into the office way too much, (laughs) yeah, and not into it basically. Fair enough, fair enough, I agree. Yeah, um, so I'm good. I don't, I think there's anything like, specifically, I'm just thinking of what, oh, a man microwaved fish in the mm. uh, communal kitchen today. And, yeah, fine, one person might fish. But it's an open, like, there's, the doors to the kitchen, as you know, for the benefit of our listeners, is open, and it's onto a very open plan floor. And I just thought that maybe this is a microcosm, an example of people not being aware of their impact. And by people, I mean men. So, you know, just being like, hey, this single act of me nuclear nuclearing fish to a point where it's going to be really stinky, yeah. it's going to stink out the whole office, and maybe that is, like, vibes people don't want don't on I, a Wednesday. Yeah,
1: and, like, I just opened the fridge before to retrieve some yogurt that I'd left in there, and the fridge was very overtly fishy, and I was like, did you put your microwave fish back into the fridge? Yeah. Is that what happens here? Like,
0: Yeah, no. right. And not just being like, hmm. Unpleasant. Yeah, anyway. So, I mean, apart from that, fine interactions with miscellaneous annoying colleagues today, but... Nothing particularly No, and, beyond the norm. <laughs> and I feel like I've got to the point where I'm just going to, like, give them a little bit of shit, and then it seems to be going okay, so, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Fire Elmo. Um, Same question to you. How are you? How has your yeah, two no... weeks since our last recording been? Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I... Frantic. i don't know why everything just seems to be happening
1: a lot all the time and i just i'm very tired generally i don't really want to be at work not that i don't like my job but also oh capitalism's a drag (laughs) fucking hell right getting out of bed every morning or deciding to choose like whether i should fake my own death you know it's always like do i go to work Do i fake my own death what will i choose today every day it's like on a knife's edge but here I am. It's fine. It's all fine. I've got a couple of days off coming up, which is why we're recording on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday
0: today. Yeah, mate, I'm super jealous. You got a four and a bit day weekend? Effectively, yeah. Four yep. day weekend. Yeah, the dream. Yeah, incredible. Okay, well, shall I kick us off with an episode summary? Please. This week, we listened to episode two of season two, Tooth and Claw. The Doctor and Rose are transported to 19th century Scotland, where they meet Queen Victoria and tried to protect her from a ravenous werewolf and a band of assassinating warrior monks. (laughs) Holy shit. So straight out the gate, Bechdel. Mm. I think, yes. Um, We are not amused. Yeah, that whole bit. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And there's like maids on maids chat as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. I mean, some of them aren't named, but yeah. Oh, I mean, overall episode thoughts. My notes are interesting, but also bizarre. Spooky, but random.
1: Yeah. It's got weird, I like it because it's got like off-the-wall kind of adventure vibes, but I think it doesn't really make much sense. Since?
0: No, and they've also gone, fuck with everything in the future and or thinly veiled present-day Cardiff, so we've <laughs> got to do a historical one. <laughs> yeah, and we ended up with creepy bald martial art monks in Scotland. Yeah, um, In what I would probably describe it as like a wolf god kind of cult, but... Buddhist adjacent Mm. with orangey ish robes, and I think it's a little bit offensive.
1: It's a little bit cultural appropriation, yeah, because
0: they're all extremely white, correct? They've all got shaved heads,
1: yeah, it feels a bit,
0: yeah, that would not fly now, no,
1: and which leans quite nicely into sort of tangential to our discussion question this week. So, you know, this episode deals with British royalty. We've got Queen Victoria being a key character. And it also centres the diamond known as the Koinur as the plot resolution, right? So this idea that the diamond's going to go into the telescope and that's being used to end all the drama. Now, obviously, we're recording this days after the death of Queen Elizabeth II. So this is actually very topical. In the wake of the Queen's death, I noticed a lot of discourse, particularly on Twitter, about colonisation and specifically the Koinur diamond. Um, So I'm just going to give a brief history of this diamond, just for, like, context. I'm so excited. Go for it. So the, the stone was originally about 186 carats, and its exact origins are unknown, but it was most likely discovered in South India in the 13th century. And it then found its way through the hands of several dynasties, beginning with the Mughals in the 16th century, then the Persians, and then the Afghans, before the Sikh Maharaja Ranjit Singh obtained it in 1813. His son held the diamond until the British annexed Punjab in 1849, The kid was only 11 years old. He had to sign the Treaty of Lahore. And as part of that, the governor general at the time, who was a Scottish dude, kind of um, coerced him into also handing over the diamond as a gift to Queen Victoria. How convenient. Yeah. Uh, It was then put on show at the Great Exhibition of 1851. And the public were like, "Uh, this is not actually that impressive. And apparently there was also like critiques of the East India Company's plunder of imperialism in India as a result of it. Oh, okay, okay. So Prince Consort Albert. He had the diamond recut and polished to make it shinier and, like, just kept doing it, which is referenced in the episode as, like, he was obsessed with it. And the koh noor has been called, and I quote, In a lot of ways, it is a symbol of plunder and represents the long history of plunder imperialism. So, on that note, I thought, let's talk about colonization. Now, obviously, recognizing that colonization, first and foremost, hurts indigenous people and particularly people of color. Yep, we are two white women from colonialist heritage. Like, yep. The white people are Dutch.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm English. We're the OG fucking yeah. colonizers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, so we're going to do our best here. But I think to better understand post colonial feminism in particular, please look at the work of Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde. Chimimanda and Dechi is really good as well. Alice Walker, Odvasi Butalia. Incredibly important work being done in this space. So, you know, yep. look into it. It's a lot to be learned. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes
0: to some key people as well that you can check out. So yeah, let us discuss. So super interesting. I think there's a lot to a lot of layers to this, so obviously going in with that with that very core one of Colonization of the world by the British. So Queen Victoria, in this episode, she's referenced as Queen of England and Empress of India. Yeah, still very much part of the which, of the empire at that point.
1: Yeah, it was a thing until like the nineteen forties when yeah, the Mirage yeah, was
0: disestablished. And then finally, yeah, crazy. Um, also, this episode is set in Scotland. So colonization of Scotland again by the British. Yeah, um, which for a lot of Scottish people is not something they were or are on board with. And then taking it kind of in a more micro level to this episode colonization of these human bodies by the werewolf spirit thing. So in the episode, it comes across as like quite, you know, to fit to the Victorian mindset, quite kind of supernaturally spooky a little bit. Hands of the Baskervilles, mm. you know, in the middle of nowhere, there's a scary wolf thing. But we know it's Doctor Who, it's sci-fi. And so actually at one point the Doctor mentions, you know, it's it's actually like this kind of otherly world, it like alien hmm. wolf Humanoidy spirit thing that's come down, but like they're understanding it as like a werewolf. Yeah. But it's come into I think the phrase they describe it as is a ten year old weakling. Yeah. Got inhabited and has become powerful, then because he is the host. Yeah. Because his body's been colonized.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was reading about this like post-colonial feminism, and the the whole idea about it is like, post-colonial studies look at the economic and political mm-hmm. impacts of colonialization, on colonized countries. I'd like to say that post-colonialism implies that post that it's over and it's not actually over. The effects of colonialisation goes on for ages and ages and to this day persists. I mean, we live in a country where we see the effects of colonisation all the time.
0: So I would, we're not post-colonial yet. I was, yeah. hazard,
1: like, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's aspirational. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the classic, oh, well, my ancestors did that, why should I be held responsible for it? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, yeah. And just a sidebar reminder to our listeners, I'm English, moved to New Zealand over a decade ago. Yeah,
1: I'm South African via Australia, came here about seven years ago, eight years so ago. So
0: we are either from or lived in countries where white people
1: yeah, and I, I, came in and took over. I think it's very interesting being South African, so my ye olde ancestors were obviously Dutch, came to South Africa, colonised the country, and then the English arrived and colonised that country again, so it's like doubly colonised layers and layers like yeah and yeah. um, yes. so post-colonial feminism looks at the idea that it's not just you can't just look at the political and the economic impacts there is also an impact on language on the way that people present themselves on all sorts of things it's just it's cultural as well as fiscal and there's this line that says you know women are colonized twofold by imperialism and male dominance because it's like layers on top of layers. Mm, interesting. But what I find interesting is the idea of post-colonial feminism is to decenter white western feminism which often tries to act like they're speaking for all women and like the white western experience is relevant for all women whereas for some women in other countries their idea of liberation maybe does not look the same as a white woman's but that does not mean that they are oppressed so that is the idea that you should keep that in
0: mind yeah that's a really great point i was reading about post feminism as well um and yeah a key point that stood out to me is that this movement which is obviously like all movements of feminism had some critique we're not saying anything is the be all and end all or is without um, discussion but a core point that I remember is um, the idea that this movement came kind of in opposition to like you said that there's a concept of a global sisterhood when it Mm. comes to an experience as a woman and that actually that's not true Um, that you can't be like this is woman's experience and I need to consciously remind myself of this is that I have a very Privileged singular view of what it means to be a woman and female presenting and, yeah, like, by virtue of where you were born, where you grew up and how you were colonized and when. And, I mean, New Zealand and Australia are a great example here of how your country decided to try and make amends for that. Yeah. Like, the way that that Maori have been treated post-colonization and continuing is very different to the way that indigenous uh, Australians have been treated. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of very different experience.
1: Let alone the South African version, which yeah. went poorly until, you know, in my lifetime, like, 1994, when Nelson Mandela was elected president yeah. of South Africa, I was eight years old. Like, I remember being in school when that happened. Like, that is very recent history. That is
0: horrifically recent.
1: Yeah. So... When I was researching this, I came across an article, which I'm going to mention because I think it's very interesting. It's called Feminism as Imperialism. It ran in The Guardian in 2002, and it was in response to 9-11. So obviously we're recording this on what the 14th of September, so 9-11 commemorations have been very recent. And it's this idea that George Bush was using the respect for women and the liberation of women as an excuse as well to invade Iraq and Afghanistan. Not just the weapons of mass destruction, it was also all done mm. in defense of, like, we must liberate these women. So there's a direct quote from it saying, Respectful women can triumph in the Middle East and beyond. The repression of women is everywhere and always wrong, he told the New York Times. Warming to his theme that the West should attack Iraq for the sake of women. So it goes on about this stuff, and it talks about how the theft of feminist rhetoric is not a new thing, and it's been used by the Victorian establishment as well, and they imperialist quest across the world being like we're going to liberate women these you know barbaric practices and often islamic barbaric practices that they claim and they just go and use it as an excuse to pillage and plunder and do it all in the name of freeing women when their own women aren't free
0: so that is an extremely good point and specifically to pick out that thread of religion mm. um queen victorian it comes out in this who episode was very christian I mean, every, everyone, you know, nominally Christian, our own recently deceased monarch, very Christian, especially for this day and age. Yeah. But Queen Victoria was very Christian. And, you know, Christianity is, is often part and parcel of of this white white colonialism. White saviorism as well, right? And White saviorism, fuck. And like George that's the first thing that popped into my head when you're reading that thing about George Bush is mm. like this white saviour complex of being like, No, it's okay, we'll ride in and save the women folk. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this article goes on to say they wanted merely to replace Eastern misogyny
1: with Western misogyny. Yeah. But like Bush, they stole feminist language in order to denounce the indigenous culture. Feminism thus serves as the handsmaid to colonialism. Handmaid to colonialism. Mm. Yeah. Whether in the hands of patriarchal men or feminists, the ideas of Western feminism essentially function to morally justify the attack on native societies and to support the notion of comprehensive superiority of Europe. Which I would argue the real, like, the motivating factor in all of this is often religion. Colonization is often spurred on by the need to like spread the gospel, and then go invade all these countries. Like, yes, they're also doing it for riches, but they often use like religion.
0: I mean, all you know, early medieval, all the Crusades. Correct. Yeah. Invading the Middle East um, because you're f- under you know the belief that you are Western Europe, you're Christians, freeing the holy land from people who aren't Christian.
1: Yeah. And you're just assuming you know better than everyone else. And it's interesting also looking at this from a queer lens because indigenous cultures often have had queer representation. Like, it's not a weird thing. Like, you look at the history of a lot of indigenous cultures and people, they had a long history of, you know, not a gender binary. Gender binary didn't exist often until they were colonized. Like, the Mm -hmm. Spanish brought the gender binary to Mexico and South America, the English brought the gender binary to North America as well. Māori have words for non-binary genders. Yeah, absolutely. And because there's this assumption that, you know, you will speak English and you will obey my laws, these people were persecuted to the point where they lost that sense of identity. And it's all done under the excuse of being unholy
0: or Hmm. immoral. So again, the root driver there is religion. Yeah and then what can be un you know what can be destroyed very quickly in that movement of colonization people coming ashore you know setting up their settlements takes forever to rebuild because once you are oppressed once you're trodden down like physically spiritually emotionally and I think coming back from that is
1: yeah and I, do, I think you can't undercut the loss of language for that if you don't have mm, the words anymore if you lose the words for things how can you embody it? And I think you see this often with the the move to reclaim, you know, the Welsh language, Gaelic, all these things, even Māori. Like I remember when I did my Tereo class, you know, the tutor was like, there's a lot of stuff we just don't know the words for because it's been lost. And that is
0: horrendous.
1: Like, I hate that. Like, it's just a horrific thing to have happened.
0: Uh, yeah, and that's a great thing to raise. It's it's uh, Reo Māori week here in New Zealand at the moment. read an interesting article today which was saying... Um, it's the 50th anniversary of the petition that went to Parliament mm. to say we need to teach Boreo Maldi to our children in schools mm. and, you know, how much stronger the language is and native speakers since that happened, mm. but how it's still very much, all oh, has a long way to go because there's the, you know, in linguistic kind of study, there's an anecdotal thing that holds pretty true that it takes a generation to lose a language natively but three generations to get it back again.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we both um. learn languages we enjoy learning languages and we both know that if you don't have someone to speak it with it's almost impossible to keep it up you need to be able to talk to people all the time in that language in order to regain fluency or maintain fluency
0: so yeah it fully needs to be embedded as normal
1: yeah exactly yeah and i do feel like you know new zealand's quite good i feel like there is a fair amount it's becoming better even in the time i've lived here i think it's i've seen more out and about but you know you want to get to a point where it's not controversial
0: yeah, that it doesn't um, feel like a political choice when someone decides to bilingual stuff. That it's just commonplace. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, and that's to caveat that I don't think it's a political choice, but that's how it is treated and used sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, and I find it yeah.
1: fascinating because I up until fourteen I lived in South Africa, twelve official languages, very linguistically diverse. So often you would go to places and you just wouldn't know the language that someone was speaking, and I don't find that weird. But I have noticed. Mm. Particularly, well, with white colleagues, if we go to things and people are speaking predominantly Māori, they get quite antsy about it. They seem to be mm. a bit like, "Oh, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, you can pick it up from vibes. Don't worry about it. Also, just sit still and be quiet. So weird. I don't get that kind of discomfort at not understanding what's being just said. Just
0: wait and politely ask if you're not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's mm. weird, hey. I do. I get exactly what you mean. Like, often, um, if you have somebody who's a facilitator who really wants to run a session bilingually, they'll open in real maori and so you what you have to wait quite a while until they get to the english mm. um and that's cool just like absorb it enjoy the moment it's a beautiful language to listen to let alone to you know strive to understand like yeah i think it's it, the privilege that comes with being english-speaking in an english-speaking dominant world so being understood and understanding is your natural default position yeah, this is why everyone should learn two languages. Everyone should be bilingual. I just yeah. Wow, okay. Like, dude, so much to unpack. I think I would like to do a small caveat here that we recognise that this topic is colossal. Oh massive. And as with anything, we are gonna do the the best treatment we can in this time and knowing that there is a lot we will leave out. We will not solve any problems. No, no. Or not even at all. touch the surface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty the much. Part. So I mean maybe, yeah, maybe just come back to the app for a little bit. I think yeah, Queen Victoria, despite being Let's, you know, problematic as fuck on many levels. Um, was actually quite like a super fun character yeah. in this episode. The scene particularly where she's savaging her captain at the dinner table because he's like kind of being a little bit uppity and she's like, hmm is brilliant. She does go particularly weird at the end of the episode, did she get bitten? Yeah who knows question mark scratched yeah whatever and then she like exiles the Doctor and rose and then in like a weird revenge moment like births torchwood
1: yeah
0: um as this like anti-doctor movement
1: yeah torchwood house um, yeah she yeah. was like
0: we're on the torchwood estate and i was like <laughs> it's just them trying to like establish yeah, yeah 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 uh, retconning because they're like, we want to do a spin-off.
1: The thing I've never understood is, like, so Tortured 1 is always London, Tortured 2 is Scotland. If that was the OG, s- Tortured, why is that not Tortured 1? You would think if that was the first one, that would have just been Tortured 1. But no, they relocated to London and made everything about London.
0: Yeah. English that bias. English. <laughs> yeah, fucking <laughs> Londoners. Oh, I, I have quite a list of random observations. Please crack on. It's, it's, well. There's some bizarre things. So I have a discussion point to moot with you. Mm-hmm. Yet again, the TARDIS pops them out in seemingly the wrong <laughs> year. So they're aiming for 1979. There's lots of 70s banter. They pop out in 1879, well within the reign of, of Queen Victoria. This is such an ongoing bit now. Is the TARDIS doing this on purpose? Like, does the TARDIS sense when they're, like, needed... Because they never pop forward well, that we see. They never pop out and everything's like totally normal yeah. and they just have a nice walk. Like, they're always popping out in an imminent moment of peril. Yeah. So can the TARDIS, like, time and space vibe check and be like, no, you want a nice, like, romp through 1970s. Yeah, you know, I mean, but, like, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm happy to believe that. I want to make that my headcanon that the TARDIS is like, oh, we'll just do what I want to do.
0: Yeah, and they're like, this is where you're needed rather than just, like, having a frolic. Mm. Yeah, cool, okay.
1: I mean, I would love to go to 79. 1979 and go to a bunch of punk gigs. I would love that. That sounds great to me. Yeah, okay. I mean, I love that the royals could just stop at a random house whenever the urge took them. Like
0: just Dude, like, there's so hello. much amazing history of this literally. Like if you look, so I studied a lot of late modern English history. So, like basically that the whole kind of Tudor century. Mm. And it was a common thing so on the win- on the summer tour, like you'd leave London because it got super stinky in York and, yuck, and like elite houses or so houses that are uh, affiliated to the court would know that they were going to be part of the summer tour and have to like prepare the fuck. Because if you have the, like the <laughs> king or queen, depending if it's, you know, Henry or Elizabeth or whatever at that point, turn up with their full entourage and all the horses and all the dogs and like it would literally ravage an estate. They cost so much money to put them up. But it was seen as such a privilege. Yeah. The, the monarch was staying with you, so you just had to like suck it up and then get in debt and then somehow like, you know, work it back. Like it's a it's a big thing. How long would the monarch normally stay at any like, house? Like week or month. Like Oh my or gosh. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. No, no, no. Because like roads are super bad, everyone's going by carriage or horse, or walking if you're poor, like, you know, it would take a long time to like get a rain. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah. I would not be down with that now. Imagine if that happened now. Well, hello.
0: But like, oh hey, like Jacinda was like, can you just put me up for a couple of days? I'm on my way yeah. <laughs> to okay. somewhere else. Yeah, you can sleep on my house. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Fine. <laughs> DPS are in there. Yeah. yeah. So in house. Going
0: on. Cool. Okay. So next on my list, the I mean we'll call them monks for want of a better word, but mm. the the cult men. Yeah. So the queen turns up with her men, her like Scottish guard, and then. Did the baddies make the guards a cup of really effective sleepy bedtime tea? I think
1: they did, yes. Because... a
0: chloroform. Literally, or maybe just, like, really strong chamomile. (laughs) And they're like, here, have the poison beverage. But didn't kill them, which I think is, like... Oh, because maybe they wanted them to be alive so the wolf could eat them? Because I was like, why are you fucking around? Just kept, like, you got some... It's like Victorian why times. Why are you drawing the line You could, now? like, chuck a tennis ball and hit some arsenic. Like, yeah, yeah, like, why? It just seemed a bit oddly, you know. I
1: also kind of felt for those poor Scottish workers at the start who just, like, work on this estate and we're getting the shit beaten out of them
0: and they weren't even resisting. They weren't fighting back. <laughs> These monks were just beating them up for no reason. Bizarrely choreographed fight scene. Yeah. Like, you know, when you... They've obviously put the monks on wires, which is, like, hilarious for a Doctor Who episode and yeah like the poor unassuming like laborers are literally like queuing up to be fought there's no level of like i'll flee and get help they're just like what's happening so confused and the lord of the house who is not matthew McFadden but could have been just, like, quite some, he tends to get like i mean rolled out as rude but he tends <laughs> to get rolled out as like a scottish speaking actor in pretty much all british yeah. drama i've seen him a lot since then and around then like maybe he peaked i don't know maybe he's still working who knows <laughs> yeah this bizarre
1: I was all ready to get indignant about them just handing Scottish land to random English nobles but then he spoke and I'm like oh no he's actually Scottish but I'm sure he was sympathetic to the crown taking Scotland that's why he has that estate so no doubt he is actually the enemy still <laughs>
0: yeah I mean I was happy that he was Scottish as well yeah but like yeah Oh, one thing I did like, though. Lady of the house, also Scottish, very vehemently protecting her maids. Yeah. I mean, you've got to look after the staff. Yeah. But also, I think, like, in, in not like a, you know, she was, like, bodily protecting them. Mm. She was also keeping ahead, keeping cool, calm, and collected. She's the one who was, like, smart and resourceful and thought, like, hey, why are they wreathed in mistletoe? Yeah. Let's get on this. Whether it's, like, maids akimbo, and they're all, like, freaking out. And, yeah, she's on it. I'm but like- then, obviously, her husband has to do a big death sacrifice, like, whatever. Which I felt was unnecessary, necessary,
1: but yeah. also I kind of love mistletoe. There's a bit of, like, kitchen witchery in there. Being like yeah, it's like a
0: bit of witchy Hey, I yeah. like it. It's cool. Um, get, I don't think you get mistletoe in New Zealand. It's no, an English
1: I think, thing. Yeah. I just want to say that werewolf transformation looked incredibly painful. But how is it so
0: much better looking than the one in Harry Potter?
1: Arguably <laughs> a much bigger budget film. And
0: effort, and that is a terrible werewolf so, that I
1: still haven't recovered from.
0: Mate, on the subject of wolves and wolf-adjacent things, let's not talk about the warg. <laughs> No, Sophie, <laughs> the warg. I don't understand
1: how you fuck that up. Like, you had a good walk in the two towers, yes. you had a good walk in the Hobbit, and then you're like, you know what? Nah, fuck it. But I was talking to someone, someone in the know, and apparently they use, like, 12 different visual effects companies to make Rings of Power. Oh. So I'm like, well, if you're the one responsible for the fucking warg, like, quit Hand in your resignation.
0: For clarity, we just watched episode three of Rings of Power, and there it's is a work. bizarre... Like, it looks like it was... The nightmare version of the weird hyenas from The Lion King.
1: Bad taxidermy
0: walk. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, yeah. The dog. The so taxidermy talk. yeah, cool. I still maintain that for a very low budget option, full black contact lenses. Mm. Super fucking creepy. Like if you can't see yeah. the whites of your eyes. Nah, we look terrifying. I'm very desensitized to that, having
1: watched a lot of Charmed as a child. Oh. The Demons always had full black eyes,
0: so I'm oh. like, and it's a potential. Desensitized. Um, so you're desensitized to demons? <laughs> yeah, aren't you? <laughs> Salt around. Just. Salt circle. Scoping out the exits.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bravado Man immediately gets eaten.
0: That's always a good time. Oh my god, he's like, oh, nothing could survive that. Ten wears glasses.
1: I know, so cute. Representation to the glasses, folks. Yeah, we
0: are both bespectacled.
1: We are. Yeah,
0: and And proud. (laughs)
1: Proud. (laughs) I love when he was, he's such a sense of wonder, you know, like, that is beautiful, and he's just, like, info-dumping about the telescope and saying how rubbish the telescope is, Yeah, he's like, oh, they're being rude. So great. But I love when he gives the advice that they should run So the queen. is like, your majesty, as a doctor, I recommend a vigorous jog for the health. He's, like, jogging on the spot really funny
0: he's really funny he is funny also whenever they do any random bits like that you know this is a 45 minute episode yeah everything <laughs> will be relevant later so you know when he's like making a comment about the telescope not being terribly great i'm like okay wait for that to become central to the plot also when he was like asking you
1: know oh you have a wife and he says they're bold athletic your wife's away i just thought you were happy when he
0: was <laughs> that was hilarious I Just like you that's ha- literally like yeah just like having a great time with these guys <laughs> Like okay. it's a little casual Doctor Who being like You know Stealthily gay Love it Yeah a Weird comment about Jackie If she was there She would be fighting for the diamond mm. like, That's just unnecessary Yeah Interesting
1: about the curse of the diamond though You know when They say whoever owns it must die And the Doctor's like That's true of anything
0: If you wait long enough <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, kind of love that actually a great point Yeah People are like Oh no if you have it you'll die Well yeah <laughs> That's just life <laughs> Telescope Moon Focuser Wolf Death ray yeah. Question mark, was it a teleporter or a vaporizer? I assumed
1: a vaporizer.
0: Oh, uh, because I was like, did they just get teleported back to where they came from? But then he was like, make it stronger. Release me. I thought we were going to get like a limp human body with the uh, wolf spirit gone, but like the whole thing went. And I was like, has he been teleported or just like, pfft, I
1: thought he was exploded by the power the of the moon. I also like that line. It's like you're seventy percent water, but you can still drown. You know, like why would The yeah. moonbase stronger,
0: but no, seventy percent. I mean, 70%. too, and this is why also what I love about Doctor Who, like a very, very basic level of science used to, yeah, Deus ex machina, everything out of any situation. Oh, like you've got, you know, a, a fork and a, you know positive attitude, and look we've made a gun,
1: like a fork, a positive attitude, and a massive fucking diamond. There you go.
0: Yeah. End of the episode When they're like Oh did she Do you think she did get bitten Or you know The haemophilia thing And then like a weird Mean bone on Princess Anne Yeah <laughs> Like out of nowhere Poor Princess Anne And of the royals I mean this she's is a sliding scale <laughs> She's like one of the least weird yeah. Of a weird bunch She's definitely the best
1: one In the crown
0: Oh my god She's amazing in the crown The actress as well I love her Also the fact that She just got kidnapped And then Yeah Made a big deal about it <laughs> It was like fucking. that was a weird Tuesday Yeah <laughs> No, I've always thought she was like baller, but also I feel like that's probably what it's like to grow up as a woman in the royal family in that era with the queen as your mum, being like, duty, suck it up, be like your brothers.
1: Although she was also quite, in the crown, she's also quite mean to Charles. Yeah. You see, the views of the crown have gone up 800% since... No, what?
0: Yeah. Oh my god. Everyone's watching the crown, which is not good for the new king. <laughs> I, did what see, say. I did see a Twitter that was like, oh no, spoiler alert for the crown, because <laughs> the queen
1: died. I mean, that is you watching Drive to Survive
0: when no, you're like, don't, don't sh- tell me. No one, no one email me F1 results. I wait yearly for the amazing, the amazingness. so much cost to tell and you. Don't tell, you. tell me, all right? <laughs> I just got to wait for it, dude. Fucking hell. I love it. Okay, stand out moments. I mean, we might have talked about them. Or oh, do you have any more randos? No, that was all of them. Okay.
1: Oh, I will just say the empire of the wolf, the wolf, blah, blah, blah. And then to Rose, oh, there's something about the wolf about you. Like, okay, we get it. We're done with the bad wolf thing. Yeah. god. <laughs> that plot point has been resolved. Oh,
0: fuck. I didn't even register. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>
1: Boring. Okay, stand out moment. For me, it is David Tennant's delightful Scottish accent. Oh my
0: God, mate. Top of my list. I
1: just love it, the same it so page. much. That's timidest beastie over Glen and Dale. Like, yes, please. And then how he switches so oh, easily back dude, to this
0: Oh, it's hearing him switch between. Like, it's crazy. And you
1: know, I sent you that video of Michael Sheen last night.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just find it so fascinating that people with, like,
1: Michael Sheen with his Welsh accent, David Tennant with his Scottish accent, they have to learn this English accent as if it's their native accent
0: for work. And then it's actually,
1: it's an incredible skill. Like, American actors don't have to do that. They don't have to learn a whole
0: new... No, and I mean, if they do, I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, like, if they're doing stuff with the English accent, but... Like I, th- I do think I mean Michael Sheen definitely But also specifically David Tennant Like they are very good voice actors Like David Tennant does a crack in English Like as an English person You could never fucking tell he's not English And the fact that he can switch between it on the spot Is just I mean maybe there was a few takes right And he just yeah. like fluffed it a couple of times One of my partners is English But he speaks German and French fluently and he finds it quite hard to, when he's speaking one of those languages, say he's speaking German and, like, an, a French, you know, like a French name or a French word comes up, he finds it very hard to, on the spot, switch that accent to the other one. Mm-hmm. So, we'll, like, if he's speaking German, we'll, like, say his own English name in a German accent. We'll say everything in a German accent because it's easier not to do that mental switch. Yeah. And that's obviously something that is because he's not a native speaker of those languages. I
1: think it's also just how your brain works, right? So I'm bilingual, I speak two languages, English and Afrikaans fluently, but I learn a lot of languages. And often I find that I, if I'm learning a language, I will be translating it into Afrikaans or into English. So when I was learning Dutch, Dutch and Afrikaans are very similar. So I would naturally put it in my Afrikaans accent because it's more linguistically the same. Yeah. So then my brain would go, wait, what is happening? We're going from... Like, when I was answering the questions in Geolingo, you're supposed to answer it in English, but I would answer it in Afrikaans, and I'd be like, fuck.
0: fuck. I
1: need to do this other translation. But, yeah, so I guess accents are kind of a little bit like that. But there's no excuse for bad accents then. I'm sorry. No.
0: Oh, and sometimes, I mean... I feel like Antipodians are a lot to blame for this But like Adam Garcia In our episode A couple of episodes ago Like he is such a bad English accent From the Australian Russell Crowe in anything Sounds Australian What about Les Mis? Oh my
1: god don't no.
0: Javert. 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 Javert 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 from like fucking downtown Sydney best time like... was when
1: he chucked himself off the
0: bridge oh my god oh, damn rather yeah yeah so it's just it's just seeing you know just skill utter skill Yeah. Um, my note says swoon I love it I was it. like
1: swoon let them have this natural accent the same with Richard Madden like the bodyguard you oh know oh
0: my god fucking hell
1: Give these Richard people Madden, their when he's
0: doing the, f- and also there is no reason why the doctor could not have been Scottish at this point. No. We just had a Northern one following Chris Eccleston. Later on, I'm pretty sure Peter Capaldi is doing a Scottish I accent, think so, right? Yeah, I can't so, remember. like, there's literally no reason. It's Scottish Eurasia
1: <laughs> Yeah, and even in Good Omens, both Michael Sheen and David Tennant have English accents.
0: Yeah, I mean that would probably be a bit confusing. I mean, he's not—you know like Christian Bale as Welsh. Okay, a lot of things wrong with Christian Bale. <laughs> like, let's get that front and center. But he is a master of accents as well. He's from like Pembrokeshire, mm. and he will do like—I mean—he's a little bit methody, which is a bit weird as well. But like, he'll do a certain American accent for a film, and then he'll retain that for all the press. Yeah. So that like the audience has like you know cohesion. I mean that is a little bit like we can like yeah, follow that it's the same person. A mate, lot but... of actors
1: do this. So apparently Vin Diesel. His voice is not his voice. What? Yeah, well, this is what I've been told.
0: Uh, it's a conjecture. Please don't sue me. But I am
1: Gru. Tom Hardy's another one.
0: Oh, Tom Hardy's great as well. Fucking hell. What is this Venn diagram between being a great male actor and also being an asshole? <laughs> like, Oh, damn it. It's so attractive. And also, I just, I'm so jealous of it. Like, envious. Like, I'm like, I want that skill. Oh, Kate Winslet. She's known for doing good accents as well. Especially, she did a good Aussie one, and people like English people, American people. It's very hard to do good Australian and especially Kiwi accents.
1: Yeah, the Kiwi one is hard. It's real
0: hard. Did you ever watch Top of the Lake?
1: Yes, love Top of the Lake. Yeah,
0: she um Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, did it did a pretty good crack. I wasn't perfect, but also got
1: David Wenham in it, who's an Aussie. So I'm like, "Mm, how do we feel about that?
0: Oh, I remember him from Van Helsing. I love David Wenham.
1: Also in Lord of the Rings, he plays Faramir.
0: Oh, he does play Faramir. Oh.
1: Films did Faramir dirty. Oh.
0: Yeah, so that was my stand up moment, too. Great. Um, my other one was the entire moment of Ten shouting, arm yourself, and then <laughs> throwing a book.
1: Yeah, because he's like, books, best weapons in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, arm yourself, Chuck's book. I also love
1: that they just, like, are in this wooden box that's been designed to keep them safe because there's you
0: know mistletoe oil apparently yeah. in the paneling and then so the wolf's smart. like i'll come through the ceiling yeah
1: quite smart and then they have to brush out of their room
0: i feel like there's often these moments in who where they have to build some like kind of narrative break so we're not just like yeah for like 45 minutes straight so it was like the dead dad episode when Uh-oh. suddenly they were in the church and the things couldn't get in for like no apparent reason other than it was old yeah. and then we're like no it's because we need some like dialogue progression <laughs> we <laughs> like, need some exposition
1: yeah <laughs> we can't do that while we're running
0: we must trap them somewhere. Yeah. Fun, though. Yeah, super fun. Rose's yeah. hair managed to keep a very nice, loose wave yeah. throughout this entire episode. And I have straight hair like Billy Piper does. And I know what my hair is like in terms of retaining a wave, especially mm. during intense, you know, fear and <laughs> running. <front> of- <laughs> like, so suspension disbelief. Also talking about her being naked the whole episode. Yeah. I just remembered that. I forgot to write it down. It's kind of weird. The Queen
1: being like, I'm tired of nakedness. And she's like, it's not amusing, is it? Really belaboring the point. I mean, Rose does try to talk to and understand the werewolf. She's trying to find common ground with it, which I think is a testament to her time with the Doctor so far. Like she doesn't start from the everything is evil perspective. She's like, No, which is interesting.
0: And she does manage to keep a kind of relatively cool head on like, okay, we're trying to break our chains and I think it is interesting to see her kind of progression. And again, like we have made this point multiple times before that there's probably a lot of adventures going on that we're not privy to. Yeah, we don't see, yeah. Um, so this is just a snapshot on her like learning journey and exposure and Yeah. Everything and Yeah, you know, even like they're going through all this like fear and at one point she's still like, Werewolf. Yeah. Because it's, like, taking it off the crazy things list. And even
1: afterwards, she's, like, not traumatized by this arguably quite traumatic experience. She's still like, ooh, is the royal family a bunch of werewolves? Like, she's immediately swept away by...
0: And they straight up got, saw people get munched. Yeah, and they're like, like,
1: kind of giddy about it, right? Like, even though this horrible thing is happening, they're like, ah, Because they're so removed from it. They're sort of protected from it, in a way. Because they get to leave. As the blonde the Slavine said... You just come, you fuck things up, you leave. This is true.
0: And I think whilst whilst Rose has had many near-death experiences, I think she is... You know, like the Doctor will move heaven and earth to look after her. Mm. And there's always going to be, in these episodes, there's always going to be a lot of miscellaneous randoms who will get killed quickly. Because that, to us as the audience, shows that there's real peril and that kind of thing. But does paint this backdrop of her kind of like careening from, you know, interesting moment in time and space to another. Uh, witnessing death and destruction and then saving the day and then being like on to the next one yeah does the TARDIS have a therapy room <laughs> <laughs> I hope like, so free therapy just or the maybe phone. like a flotation tank mm. something <laughs> robot masseuse meditation room oh, fuck I'd have a, I'd have a massage from David Tennant <laughs> 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 like that good on a treat well on that note <laughs> cool. do we have any other things are we good no, I think I'm good. Are you good? I, I feel am good. like. Yeah, like we said, this is such a big topic. It probably will come up again, I reckon, yeah, in some reckon. shape or form. There's, um, there's an
1: episode of The New with Jodie Whitaker on the partition of India. So. Fuck,
0: alright, cool. Fucking out. By like, you know, by what, season Like, 17, they're like, we've got to hit the big topics. <laughs> all the superficial ones are gone now.
1: Yeah, so no doubt, lots of colonisation to come up. Yeah. Um, okay, well, next week then, we'll be discussing episode three, school reunion. Let us know your thoughts by emailing atardisofonesown at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, check out the show notes for links and all the references discussed in this it.
0: So, I will just chuck one final thing in. Oh, yeah. Yet to have an email.
1: <laughs> um, still bitter about I it. I do
0: recognise that the majority of the listeners are either dating me or related to me, but still.
1: <laughs> my friend Mero listens. Shout out, Mero. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Also,
0: your other Jen?
1: Yeah, my other podcast friend, yeah. Jen. Yep. Jen, Hi. Out. Thanks guys, that's all seven of um, We've
0: got 73 followers on Instagram mm-hmm. Hello to all of you Yeah,
1: send us an email
0: Yeah for sure, send or at us- least just like comment on an Insta post Like that's lower effort you <laughs> have to fire up the Gmail for that Send us a DM Yeah, oh my god, slide into the DMs Cool Um. Fun, sweet, nice, have a great week Like and subscribe, bye <laughs> Bye